you've been with us this fall, it's been a busy fall. Uh, we've uh, done a, a series on uh, the church and uh, what we believe our purpose is uh, for Calvary Chapel of Crook County. And we're excited as uh, next week we'll be getting into the book of James on Sunday mornings and, and begin walking through that book uh, here together. And uh, during the, uh, the last, oh, I don't know, probably five months or so, um, you know, God has just been uh, giving us vision and direction for what he desires this body to be in the future. And so we've been moving forward with that. Uh, within that time frame, the Lord has given us a uh, vision statement as a church or a purpose statement. Uh, and it's written on the back wall there above the back door if you want to peek at it here real quick. Uh, it says, we exist to make disciples in our city and of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Uh, it was pretty cool. A few uh, months ago, uh, we'd been meeting an extra day during the week as elders, usually about five hours or something like that at my house. And, and they've been very rich times together. Uh, but as we were meeting one Thursday night and we were formulating our vision statement that's on the wall, um, it was incredible as the Holy Spirit uh, seemed to just be tangibly felt in our midst that he was moving among us and gave us some direction um, to kind of back up a little bit as to what that direction was. Uh, for the last two and a half years, the Calvary Chapel in Lapine, south of uh, Sun River, south of Bend there, has been without a senior pastor. And uh, with that being said, uh, Calvary Chapel Bend and ourselves have been on a teaching rotation where we've been sending, I don't know, maybe every other week, every three weeks, uh, we've been sending one of our elders down there uh, to teach and to preach to that little local church. And, uh, you know, after two and a half years uh, and going through the church series that we've been going through and, and just feeling the direction uh, for our body, we began to ask, you know, is this the most efficient way to help this church, or can we do more? What, what should we do? And uh, we just felt like it was at that meeting as we were formulating the statement that we exist to make disciples who are sent out, uh, that the Lord said to us, you know, I, I want to send one of you out for the work of the ministry in Lapine. And it was just an amazing moment in my kitchen sitting around my table I had to go outside and let my dog out to go to the bathroom and as I was kind of waiting on him uh, I just just felt like this is a almost like a holy moment you know it's just a, it was a big historical moment uh, being there in my house and so we took the next week to pray uh, and we fasted and as we came back together it was that each one of us elders had laid our lives down on the table as blank checks saying, Lord, if it's me, send me, including myself. And, uh, and as we went around the circle and discussed, the Lord essentially said, uh, separate for me, uh, Chad and Jill and Gracie and Natalie and Allie for the work that I have for them in Lapine. And it was just an incredible moment for us guys. We felt like, you know what? The Lord has, has done this. And there were about three more doors that needed to open up for this to happen, for them to go to Lapine. And we just 
uh, we surrounded Chad that night and we prayed over him and we just in faith said, Lord, we just trust that you're doing this and that you're going to open the other doors for the other churches that have been involved and for the church itself, that they would say, amen, we believe it's Chad, send him down. And over the course of the time, uh, these doors have all opened up. And so uh, something that's just fantastic is that uh, we, you know, we as leaders want to lead by example, just as Jesus led and, and laid down his life as a servant leader. Uh, we want to do that as well. And, uh, and so we're willing to go in this, in this vision. All of us, our lives are available for the dis- dispensing of the Lord. And the carpenters have stepped up uh, and to live that out. And so uh, we're going to have actually the whole family come on up this service. If you guys can come on up, we're going to just pray over you guys, have the elders come on up. And we're going to, um, just as in Acts chapter 13 fashion, you know, uh, the, the early church was ministering to the Lord with prayer and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work of the ministry. And uh, that's essentially what's happening today. You know, Chad uh, has been... Um, faithful youth leader here at this church since before I've been here, so I don't know, seven, eight years or something like that. And, uh, and his family has been integrally involved the entire time. They have poured out their lives for the, chil- for the youth of this church, middle schoolers and high schoolers. Uh, and not only that, but uh, you know, Chad himself has been um, an elder over the adults, a shepherd of the adults in this flock as well. And so he's worn many hats and juggled many things. And uh, as faithful as he's been there, we know he's going to be faithful in Lapine. In fact, over the last two and a half years, one of the things that I just had felt about Chad was that uh, he's already been laying his life down for the sheep in Lapine. And this is just a natural step. So we're going to lay hands on the Carpenter family and try to be broad in our grasp here. (laughs) And let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a special Sunday, uh, just like Book of Acts style, Lord, uh, where you've moved over the last months. And we know you were moving in years before that uh, in this little church in Lapine. That's a, it's a powerful church. It's, a, it's an alive church. And, and they're just needing leadership, God. And Lord, just as uh, the elders all just uh, agreed and it seemed right, Lord, for this man to go and help lead them. Lord, we're thankful that he's a man that uh, doesn't have to be number one and just be the guy that's, uh, that's bowed down to or anything like that, Lord. But he too is a servant leader to go and to help shepherd the flock as an under shepherd to you, Lord. Lord, right now we would just pray over them as a church just uh, extra power of the Spirit, just that double portion that Elisha, uh, Elisha cried out for, Lord, that you would just put a mantle upon not only Chad, but upon Jill, Lord, as a pastor's wife, upon Gracie and Natalie and Allie as pastor's kids, Lord, that there's ex- expectations on them that, that just the world puts on them, Lord, but that they wouldn't allow anything but what you put on them to be there, Lord. Lord, we just pray for your provision for them, for a home, Lord. We just pray uh, just that the right schools would be applied to and all of those things, God, and that you would just uh, bring friends alongside the girls, bring friends alongside of Jill, God. It's such a wonderful thing, Lord, to be able to send out just as you've called us to go. And so we just, uh, we trust that wonderful things are going to happen for the advancement of your kingdom. 
in Lapine. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I just one more thing I just wanted to know. Part of this uh, vision statement, you know, kind of a phrase we've been using is putting our money where our mouth is. And if we're sending out, then we need to be willing to be sent out. Uh, but also that the church is uh, committed to supporting the carpenters for the next year. And then we'll revisit uh, what the next year is. So we're doing a partial support for them along with uh, the Calvary Chapel in Lapine to help fund this ministry that's happening down there. And so we just, uh, it's like a sister ministry. And, and we would encourage you guys over the next couple weeks and months and even year to put a date on the calendar uh, that you'll say we're going down to Lapine for this Sunday to visit and encourage Chad and it could be once a month it could be uh, every other month you you decide uh, but we would also ask you to pray about even today maybe the Lord would have you and call your family out uh, to go with them to be part of this ministry so I ask that during this teaching today as Chad teaches to us you would just have an open heart maybe the Lord would call you maybe the Lord would call your family uh, to go with them to L.A. Pine, as we call it. So, all right, that's enough of me. <clears throat> very honored, you guys, and <clears throat> very, very privileged. It's a, it's a humbling thing to surrender your life to the call of the Lord and I want to look at today, really call you and exhort you and encourage you uh, to do the same thing. And so I want to look at today Hebrews 11, and we're just going to talk about the demands of faith. And I very intentionally use that word demand because there's a difference, I think, between belief and faith. And, and, And belief can kind of stay internal to us but faith has to has to be external and i believe that there are some demands that come along with having faith and so that's what i want to want to talk about today and uh, before i get into that just would we would just covet your guys's uh, prayers probably more than anything as we uh, enter a new season of life a new chapter of ministry in lapine and i think i've probably shared this before but just you know for some of you that may not have heard this uh, when I was down in Lapine, probably a month ago, five weeks ago, something like that, and went down on a Saturday morning uh, for a, a men's meeting, and one of the, the men down there, his name is Mike, and he's an older guy, got a, got a ponytail and a really long handlebar mustache. You could like, you just tell he's probably lived an interesting life, and he's a really cool guy, um, can't even stand up straight, you know, he walks with a cane, and uh, during this meeting, he, uh, he just stands up and he starts to cry, and he looks at me and he says, I see, see broken and sinful people all over Lapine, and I know the Bible tells me that I need to love those people, but I don't know how. And then he just looks me right in the eye and he's like, will you help us love our city? Will you help us love our community? And everybody just said, yeah, help us, help us please. And this was like just one of those things that tugged on the, the strings of my heart and uh, very, very excited to, to go down and help, help love a community that needs to be loved. And and I just share that because uh, I think there's an opportunity for you guys to play a part in that, whether that's coming down to visit on occasion or, like Rory said, maybe, maybe God would, would call a family here or two to uproot their lives and, and come love a community that needs to be loved. But regardless, it's just there's an opportunity for Calvary Chapel of Crook County to uh, help a hurting community, a community uh, that needs the gospel shined in the, the darkest corners uh, of that town. And so definitely uh, would covet your guys' prayers as we just engage in the work of the gospel uh, in a community that so desperately needs it. 
uh, whether that's from afar or whether that would be that, that somebody would, would come down and, and physically participate in the ministry. Um, it's an exciting thing for sure, and it's, it's bittersweet. There's kind of going and doing a new thing is kind of cool and exciting, but, but leaving kind of sucks, to be honest. It's uh, you know, been a part of the community here for a long time and uh, just a, a difficult thing to, to leave people that we know and love and care about and <clears throat> to, to leave a church that, in all reality, like I feel like I've probably received more from you guys than probably what I've given. Uh, you know, just been a real special season of life, a special uh, group of people here that uh, we will miss dearly, for sure. Let's get into Hebrews 11 before I start to cry. <laughs> I don't cry very often, so. <laughs> it just, it's kind of hit me in a different, like first service, it, it didn't really hit me, but it's kind of hitting me now, so. Hebrews 11. We're going to look at uh, starting in verse 4 through the chapter and just the first couple verses of chapter 12. And we're going to look at faith. And we don't have time today to to get into all of the the nuts and bolts of faith and what it is and how it looks and and all of those things. We could spend weeks talking about it, and we have. Kevin has done a a great job taking us through the book of Habakkuk and uh, just looking at just this idea that the just live by faith. And we look at Hebrews 11 and we see this group of people who are commended for their faith. For some of these people who we are going to read about, things, things went their way and things worked out well. And for others, things didn't work out so well. But all of them are commended because of their faith. And I think for us here in America, even for us here just in small town in Oregon, we're, we do pretty good when our faith fits our lifestyle, but the second that our faith interrupts our lifestyle, I think that's where we start to get a little bit wary. And I think if we take an honest look at the faith that we see in the Bible, the faith lived out by the men and women that we read about in the Bible, we'll see that the kind of faith that comes from God uh, is a faith that changes our life. It's a faith that interrupts our life. It's a faith that causes our life to change direction, and it's a faith that causes us to reprioritize anything and everything. It's the kind of faith that we read, out in, read about in the Bible. Belief doesn't cause us to do those things. Belief doesn't interrupt our life, but faith, faith changes our life. Hebrews 11, starting in verse, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And when he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, 
heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she had considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many of the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a way for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he received him back. By faith, Isaac invoked the future blessing of Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborns might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. I don't know about you guys, but when I read through that, I kind of get charged. It's pretty exciting stuff to read about. You guys that know me probably know that one of my favorite movies is Braveheart. And when I read through this, I think of, think of Braveheart. I think of William Wallace. And just the lengths that he would go to to establish the freedom of his people. And when I read through this, I think about that. These guys that we read about, they were warriors. They were... Strong with the sword, it says that they shut the mouths of lions. And these, these people are commended for their faith. The first thing that we see out of this, the first demand of faith, is that faith demands action. If the gospel is true, 
And I absolutely believe it's true. The gospel demands a response. If it's true that God created man, that man rebelled against God, that Jesus redeemed man, and that, that God is unfolding his plan of redemption for all of humanity, that demands a response. And the response of that demands is faith. And faith demands that, that we put action to it. If, if we don't put action to our faith, all we have is wishful thinking. James tells us in chapter 1 to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And he tells us that if we hear the word and we don't do it, if we don't put it into practice, that we deceive ourselves. James says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We read about what we would probably consider some of the heroes of the faith. In this section of Hebrews 11, we, we see a group of people who were doers. People who put action to the things that they claimed to believe. God called Abraham to just pack up his stuff and go and didn't even tell him where he was going. And Abraham didn't ask. Not, not that we read in scripture. God said, Abraham, pack up your stuff and go. And Abraham packed up his stuff and went. At least I can say for us, like we know where we're going. But Abraham just went because God said to go. That requires more than wishful thinking. It requires more than mental assent. It requires more than just a knowledge of who God is. It requires a trust that leads to action. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. Luke writes in chapter 11, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God, and keep it. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. If our faith is real, if our faith is true, if our faith is more than just a belief, it demands that we put action to our faith. It demands that we act upon the things that we believe. And I'll be the first one to stand up here and say that's not always easy, and the Bible doesn't tell us that it ever will be. But to say that we have faith, to say that we believe in God, to say that we believe that the words of Scripture are true, and to not act on those beliefs negates our faith. You can believe all of the right things, but if your belief isn't expressed in some kind of action, again, all we have is wishful thinking. And you don't read through this list of what we just read through and think that those guys had wishful thinking. You see a, a group of people who not only acted, but acted oftentimes at a great cost to them, to their families. It goes on in verse 35 of Hebrews 11. It says, some, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And the second thing that we see is that faith demands sacrifice. That first group of people that we worked out, that we read, we read about, things worked out for those guys. In the end, things, things kind of worked out. The, the second group of people, we don't even know their names. And the Bible tells us that things didn't work out well for these guys. Some of them were, were stoned, and that means they threw rocks at you until you died. Can you imagine? Some of them were sawn in two. Can you imagine that? We don't face that kind of persecution in America. It says that they were mocked, that they were flogged, that they were imprisoned. Some of them, it says, that they wandered around in the deserts and in the mountains. They lived in caves. Some of them wandered around in the skin of sheep and goats. We, don't, we can't wrap our minds around that because it's not what we face. And all of these people are commended for their faith. The ones whose names that we know and maybe are quite familiar with, the ones whom we don't know, the ones for whom things didn't go very well, they're all commended for their faith. In Romans 8, 18, Paul writes this. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory of God that is to be revealed to us. Having faith that's real and having faith that's true, it's demanding of some sort of sacrifice. And we can read through this and see that many of these men and women sacrificed because of their faith, because of what they believed to be true. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul writes this in chapter 3. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And if you know anything about Paul, if you've read through the book of Acts, if you've read Paul's letters, you know that these words ring true in his life. If you know anything about Paul, you, you look at his life and you say there's no question as to what this guy is about. You may look at his life and think that he's nuts. You might think he's crazy. You might think he's off of the rocker. But you look at Paul's life and you, you know that when he says that I've considered all things a loss for the sake of knowing Christ, you know that that's true. You know that that's true of him. Paul had a faith that was 
demanding of a sacrifice, and in his case, Paul sacrificed a lot. Paul's talking about having confidence in the flesh and that he has more than anyone else. Paul lists off his pedigree, and his pedigree was pretty impressive. He was a prominent guy, well-educated, respected, feared, known in, in the community. And Paul gave up his standing for the sake of knowing Christ. Paul gave up everything. If, if you look at Paul from the moment that he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, his life was forever changed. His life was different from that point forward. Paul wasn't a guy that said, okay, I believe, I believe who Jesus is, and then his life remained the same. Paul, when he professed a faith in Christ, when he professed a belief, it led to action and it led to his life being forever altered. And that's very evident when you read through the account of his life. And Paul tells us in this Philippians passage that essentially he's, he's gladly sacrificing his life for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Whatever he would suffer... Paul tells us that it's not worth, not even in comparison to knowing Christ. And so you have to look at that and say, okay, there's, there must be something to this gospel message. If Paul was willing to live the way that he did, if he was willing to give up the things that he gave up for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of knowing Christ, for the sake of you and I knowing Christ, there's got to be something to this. Faith demands action. Faith demands sacrifice. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand, of the throne of God. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us in light of chapter 11, in light of some of the big names in Christianity, in light of some of the no names of Christianity, in light of the ones who went on to do great things in the name of the Lord, in light of the ones who shut the mouths of lions, in light of the ones that were sawn in two, in light of that, the writer tells us to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. In other words, get rid of anything, anything that would prevent faith from interrupting your life. He says, get rid of it and run with endurance the race that is set before us. And we've talked about this before. I think I shared this a few Wednesday nights back if you were here. There's a race that's set before each one of us. God in his sovereignty, God in his sanctification of sinners, has put a race before you, has put a race before me, and we're simply told here to run the race with endurance. We're not told to avoid the difficult parts of the race. We're not told to just go to the easy parts of the race. We're just told to run the race with endurance. Some of the people that we read about in Hebrews 11, their, their race wasn't so bad. Their race was pretty cool. Some of the people that we read about in Hebrews 11 
got him killed. I don't know that it so much matters if it goes well or if it doesn't go so well as much as it matters that we run the race that God has put before us and that we do so with perseverance. And that's the third demand of faith is that faith demands perseverance. Faith demands action, faith demands sacrifice, and faith demands perseverance. The writer of Hebrews is telling us to persevere, and I realize it's an easy thing to stand up here and say, run the race and hang in there. It's easy for me to stand up here and say that. It's, it's a difficult thing to do. And we just don't have time today to get into all of, like I said earlier, the nuts and bolts of what that is. I just, it was an interesting week for me because I just kind of wrestled with, you know, what do I want to say to you guys on my way out? And so many things were flooding into my mind throughout the week. So many things to say, so many kind of final thoughts, so to speak, so many directions. And, and the Lord just kept bringing me back to just kind of this big idea that, that faith is a complete interruption to the way that we live. Faith that comes from God is a complete interruption to the way that we live. And we're called to persevere through it. But here's the thing that we see in these first two verses of Hebrews 12. It tells us that Jesus is the founder of our faith and Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. And here's the good news in that. When when my faith is running short, when your faith is running short, I, I know this about me. I don't know if you know this about you, but I know this about me that I can't dig down deep and grab some more faith or find it within me because Faith doesn't originate with me. It's not there. Faith originates with Jesus. Jesus is the author. He's the creator. He's the giver of faith. And that's good news because if I had any ability whatsoever, if you had any ability whatsoever to produce faith, it would be in limited capacity. At some point it would run out. Jesus, as the author of our faith, has no limits to his capacity. So he simply calls us to live a life of faith, and I say simply knowing that it's very difficult. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that my faith doesn't originate with me, your faith doesn't originate with you, that it's Jesus who gives us our faith. And not only does he give us our faith, but he perfects our faith. Does that mean my faith is perfect today or your faith is perfect today? It's not. Maybe yours is, mine isn't, I'll just say that. God in his grace continues to sanctify those who believe in him. And that's just a big word that that means from the moment that we come to faith to the time that we draw our last breath on earth, God is in the process of making us holy, making us more like him, perfecting our faith. Little by little, day by day, step by step. I read through a chapter like Hebrews 11 and and I... I ask myself the question, what, what would I do if, if this were me in, in some, of these, some of these scenarios? If I were Abraham and God said, pack up and go, I, I would probably ask, well, why and where and how's it going to work? I don't know that I'd just pack up and go. If I were Moses and God called me to do the things that he called Moses to do, I'd probably fight it and so would you. 
But then I read those two verses in Hebrews chapter 12, and really it's a reminder, it's a reminder of the gospel. It's a gospel foundation to our faith. If we just stop at Hebrews 11 and say, have faith, believe, go do what God calls you to do, if that's where we stop, then all I've done today is just place a burden on you to go do things that you don't want to do. But the writer of Hebrews in those two verses in chapter 12 remind us that it's Jesus who gives us faith. It's Jesus who perfects our faith. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus lived a life where his faith was put into action. Jesus lived a life where his faith was worthy of sacrifice. Jesus lived a life where his faith caused him to persevere. That's what verse 2 is getting at. It says that for the joy that was set before him, that Jesus endured the cross. Jesus suffered, and you know that. Jesus sacrificed. Jesus persevered. Jesus gave in to the will of his Father. You remember the scene in the garden as Jesus was about to go to the cross when he prayed. And he prayed to the Father and basically asked his Father, is there any way, any other way? And do you remember what Jesus said after that? He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. He trusted his Father. He had faith in his Father that even though he was about to walk through a difficulty, he trusted that that was the race that God had set before him. And he ran the race with endurance. He ran the race with perseverance. And the call to you and the call to me is to live in the same way. The call to us is that if we believe the gospel, if we believe the gospel to be true, it demands a response, and that response requires action, sacrifice, and perseverance. Some of you, I don't know who, but just speculating, some of you might be wrestling even today with the call of God on your life. And that's going to be different from one person to the next, right? Not, not everybody is going to be called to, to pack up and go. That's okay. But we're all, we're all called like those words on the back wall to embody and to proclaim the gospel. And every single one of us, as believers, are sent out into the world. And for you, that may be across the street, for some of you, it may be across an ocean. For some of you, it may be somewhere in between. Some of you might be down the hallway at work. But as disciples of Christ, we're all called and we're all sent out and we're told. What we see in this passage of Hebrews is that we're sent out and that we're called to live lives of faith. We're called to live lives that trust in God. We're called to live lives that when we can't figure it all out, that we trust that God is leading us down a path. God is leading us in our race. And what I'm not standing up here and advocating is a blind, dumb faith. I don't think the Bible teaches that. But I think what the Bible does teach us is that God is sovereign and that God is in control. Colossians tells us that everything was created by him 
and for him and through him and that Jesus is the one that holds everything together. And if I'm going to put my faith in something or someone, it would make sense that it would be the one who created everything and holds everything together. And God calls us to live lives that make much of him. God calls us to live lives that would embody and proclaim the gospel so that others could live lives that embody and proclaim the gospel so that more could live lives that embody and proclaim the gospel. And we see all of this perfectly exemplified in the life of Christ. Jesus lived the life that you and I struggle to live, the life that some days in all reality we don't want to live. Jesus willingly lived a life of faith and trust in his Father. And Jesus knew, he knew the difficulty that would be before him, and he still willingly did it. You and I, we don't always know, like, not sure if things are going to be easy or difficult. Right? Jesus knew, he knew what he was getting into. He knew the difficulty that he would walk in, and he responded to his Father by saying, not my will, but yours, saying that I trust you, even though I don't want to do what I'm about to do, even though what I'm about to do is going to be difficult and painful. I trust you, Father. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, says this. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Here's the hope in this, you guys. The Bible tells us that when we come to faith in Christ, that we're regenerated, that we're redeemed, that the old goes away and that the new comes. God redeems us. When Paul writes in this Philippians passage that I just read, he says that people, that they glory in their shame. Does that, does that sound like our society today? It sure does. But he tells us that because of Christ that will be transformed, that our lowly bodies, that those of us that used to glory in our shame, that will be transformed into a glorious body. In other words, the old will go away, the new will come. We'll no longer glory in our shame that will be made to be like Christ. And that will happen by the power of God that allows him to subject all things to himself. So do you think God's capable? Absolutely. If God subjects all things to himself, he's certainly capable of changing me, redeeming me, certainly capable of authoring and perfecting my faith. 
It's a small thing in comparison to the universe. So if I want to leave you with, with anything, it would be to trust God. And again, I know that's an easy thing to stand up here and say in a difficult path to walk. But if you have taken anything away from me over the years that I've been here, I, I hope that it would be to trust God in every aspect of life. And I know that's a battle. I know that's a struggle because I've battled it myself and will continue to battle it and continue to struggle it. I don't stand up here saying that as one who has mastered that by any means. It's going to be a battle for the rest of my life, and it will be for you too. But Paul tells us that there's nothing that compares to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and that it's worth whatever the sacrifice, it's worth whatever the cost. No matter how great the cost, that it's absolutely worth it. So my, my, my challenge to you today is to walk in faith. My challenge to you today is to trust God with where he would take your life to trust God with your career, with your family, with your stuff. To trust God in living in a way that's counterintuitive to your nature, living in a way that's countercultural even. That we would trust God in that, knowing that whether your race or my race is easy or whether it's difficult, whether we shut the mouths of lions or whether we get sawn in two, that we would run the race that God has put before us and that we would do so with endurance and that we would do so with perseverance. And I wish I had more time today to, to get into some of the nuts and bolts of that. But it's not my goal today. My goal is just to encourage and exhort you in your struggle and your wrestle with faith and whatever it is that God may be calling you to do, that you would run the race. Let me pray. God, so thankful for today and thankful, thankful for these people that I get to call my friends and that I get to call my family. God, thankful that you're at work in all of our lives and thankful that, that I get to see people who are living out their faith in the ways that we've talked about today. It's so encouraging. God, I would just pray for all of us today, myself included, God, that you would continue to author faith in our lives and that you would continue to perfect faith in our lives. God, that you would allow us to embody and to proclaim the message of the gospel. God, that you would allow us to see others come to faith. God, that you would allow us to see sinners redeemed. God, allow us to live in a manner which you've called us to live trusting completely in you from one day to the next. God, thank you that you love us and thank you that you don't call us to do this alone and thank you, thank you that you don't call us to do this without the help and the power of your spirit. God, may we trust in you 
more and more every day as you continue to sanctify us, as you continue to make us holy, as you continue to make us more like you. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name.